Welcome to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. As a veteran senior pastor, Dr. Sullivan understands the importance of Bible teaching in the spiritual growth and development of God's people. Dr. Sullivan's method of teaching the Bible is to read and carefully explain each chapter and verse in clear and understandable terms so the student of the Bible gains the full understanding of God's Word. Now prepare yourself to learn and grow as Dr. Sullivan teaches through the Bible. Hello and welcome to another session of Teaching Through the Bible. I'm Dr. Kenneth Sullivan. Well, today we're studying in the book of 1 Corinthians. We're continuing our study in the book of 1 Corinthians. And we're studying in chapter 7. And I'm reading in the New Living Translation. So let's jump right in. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. Now, regarding the questions you ask in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. And someone in uh, from the Corinthian church, the church of Corinth, asked Paul whether it is best to get married or remain single. They asked him about uh, the issue, the subject of, of sex. And some of the Corinthians had taken an unbalanced, uh, unbalanced view of Paul's teaching against sexual immorality and were taking it too far. They came away, some of them came away believing that all sexual activity was evil. Uh, they began to take on the beliefs of the ascetics. The, the uh, asceticism is a belief where uh, people believe in total self-denial, total abstinence from, from sex, uh, even in marriage. So Paul acknowledged that a single celibate life is a good choice. But people who chose to stay single run the risk of falling into sexual immorality. Paul warned that since there was so much sexual immorality uh, in the world, and it's particularly in, in uh, the city of Corinth because of idol worship and all the temple prostitutes, Paul said it's better for each person to, to have his own, her, uh, his own wife and every woman to have her own husband. Every man should have his own wife. Every woman should have her own husband. In other words, Paul said it's better to marry than to fall into sexual immorality. Now, while God gives everyone the grace to remain celibate uh, in the normal process of courtship and marriage while we're waiting for a mate, most people don't have the grace to choose a, a lifestyle of, of uh, that is free from marriage for life, okay? Most people don't have that that grace. So uh, certainly God will give you the grace to live single until the day that you're married. God will give you the, the grace to, to live free of sex until the day that you marry, until you find someone to marry. But, but to choose to live a celibate life all your life, um, that is something that uh, is a grace. It's a grace gift. Some people have that gift. Um, they can just not marry uh, at all, and they can give their whole time and, and their attention to God, but not everybody has that. Now, I'm reading verses 3 through 6. The husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is her right as a married woman, nor should the wife deprive her husband. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband, and the husband also gives authority over his body to his wife. So do not deprive each other of sexual relations. The only exception to this rule would be the agreement of both husband and wife to refrain from sexual intimacy 
for a limited time so they can give themselves more completely to prayer. Afterward, they should come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt them because of their lack of self-control. This is only my, my suggestion. It's not meant to be an absolute rule. This is extremely dangerous to a marriage relationship. Now, that last sentence is my own. But uh, Paul here is saying this subject of holy sex was important because the people of Corinth had been inundated with so many erroneous ideas about sex. After making them aware of the fact that sex should only be practiced by married couples, Paul went on to caution married couples that sexual relations within marriage should be engaged in as regularly uh, as either partner requires. One of the purposes of marriage is to gratify the sexual needs of both spouses. Paul taught that withholding sex is the same as defrauding each other or depriving each other in a way that's, that's dishonest. He used the word in King James, defraud. It's similar to cheating someone out of something that's rightfully theirs. Um, from the day the marriage is consummated, uh, the couple have a right to each other's bodies. Holy matrimony is marriage according to God's laws and standards. Uh, when a couple unite themselves in holy wedlock, they're vowing to abstain from adultery and to present their bodies to each other in fulfillment of each other's sexual needs. To deprive one spouse of sexual intimacy is to compromise these vows and to violate the will of God. So uh, you can't deprive your partner, your husband or your wife from, from uh, sexual relations in, a, in this marriage relationship without offending God, okay? Of course, there should be limited times when, 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 couple, when couples may agree. You may agree to abstain from sex for a time. Uh, Paul says that you can give yourself to prayer. Sometimes we want to spend some, ex some extra time in prayer, maybe prayer and fasting. And, and so you decide, I'm going, to, I'm going to fast and pray I'm going to, uh, for the next two or three days. Uh, and so I'm abstaining from food. I'm abstaining from sex and, and, and other pleasures because I want to focus myself on worshiping God. That's well and good. But um, both couples, before they go into such uh, a commitment, fasting for an extended period of time and praying uh, and abstaining for, from sex, it should be agreed to by both couples before uh, we make such a commitment. Marriage is designed to be a holy outlet for sexual passion. And so to deprive um one spouse of sexual intimacy may, may make him or her weak and vulnerable to the temptation to commit adultery. So no one wants to um, uh, risk that. So wisdom would dictate that, uh, that we make sure that we are uh, actively engaged with one another and fulfilling each other's sexual uh, needs within the marriage bond. Paul warned that married couples should not interrupt their regular sexual activities by this expended period of time. In verse 6, Paul uh, states these words. Come together again. He, he's speaking about after a time of fasting. If you agree together that one of you is going to fast or both of you are going to fast and you're going to abstain from sex, 
He says, as soon as this is over with, your time of fasting and dedication to God is over with, come together again so that Satan won't be able to tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Okay, so this is a stern warning that depriving each other of sex uh, within the marriage relationship is extremely dangerous to the marriage relationship. Now, in the case of husbands and wives, the first priority in ministry is to be true to God. Love God, and then love your family. Be true to each other, be true to God, be true to each other, and fulfill the most basic needs of the marriage partner. Okay? Now I'm reading verses 7 through 9. I wish everyone could get along without marrying, just as I do. But we are not all the same. God gives some the gift of marriage, and to others he gives the gift of singleness. Now I say to those who aren't married and to widows, it's better to stay unmarried, just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. So celibacy, or the ability to live a single, sex-free lifestyle without experiencing the overpowering sexual passions, it's a gift from God, and it should be valued as such. Nothing wrong with people who are who choose to live celibate lives to serve God. However, only those who are sure that they have this gift should rule out marriage as a way of life. You want to make sure you have this gift. Now, that's why we're we're seeing a lot of this trouble in the in the Catholic priesthood. Uh, a lot of these people have made vows of celibacy. They have determined, in fact, you can't be a priest uh, unless you make this vow of celibacy. And the Bible just doesn't teach that. Everybody doesn't have the gift of, of uh, singleness or celibacy. And so uh, a lot of we're finding out that uh, there's a lot of uh, pedophilia going on. There's a lot of sexual immorality going on among a lot of these priests because um, they are taking th something upon themselves that they don't have the gift and the grace for. If a person can be, that's part of the reason that these things are happening. I won't say that that's the whole reason, but that is part of the, of the reason. Now, if a person can be happy living single without sex, then he or she should celebrate that gift and not cave in to pressures from other people to get married. You know, some people want to be matchmakers uh, and they, they, they uh, think that everybody has to be married. Well, not everybody has to be married. Some people have the gift of celibacy, so they're free to go and come as they please and to serve God without the encumbrances that, that marriage brings. There is nothing abnormal about celibate people. I'm going to say that again. So we want, don't want to look at them askew uh, because they, they are remaining single to serve God. Celibate people have much more freedom to come and go and to, and to serve God. And so Paul said that's the preferred lifestyle, actually, but not everybody has that gift. Now, Paul issued some qualified advice to those who are single and to widows. He urged them to remain single if they could control their passion. But he cautioned them not to pass up the opportunity to marry if they had a problem with self-control. Now, you, you can't be sleeping around and deciding, well, I'm going to stay single for God but you're just jumping from bed to bed. You're sleeping around. That's immoral. God's not pleased with that. He'd rather that you go ahead on, find somebody, uh, another Christian. And, uh, if you're a Christian, of course, this is, this is to Christians. 
um, find another Christian and marry them, okay? If you don't have the gift of celibacy. So Paul warned them it's better to marry than to burn with, with sexual passion and, um, uh, uh, and find yourself in sin. So Paul made it clear that sex is holy only if it is participated in in marriage. All sex outside of marriage is unholy. And that's important to note. Now I'm reading verses 10 through 11. Now for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband. But if she does leave him, let her remain single or else go back to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Although marriage provides a holy outlet for the gratification of sexual desires, it's not wise to rush into marriage or enter into it uh, unadvisedly. Um, it's important to prayerfully and carefully choose the person who will be a lifetime partner with you. Take a year or so to, to get to know the person. In, in, in normal cases, uh, about a year would be right or so, uh, or maybe a little bit more in some cases. Take a year to get to know the person that's being considered for marriage. You can't know someone in just a, a few weeks. Uh, so marriage is not something you should rush into. Take time uh, to get to know someone. Time should be spent determining whether that there are major incompatibilities between you. And and uh, and if that's the case, if there are major incom incompatibilities, it, it'll make the marriage a, a burden rather than a, a blessing. Think of marriage as a lifetime commitment. Don't enter marriage with divorce, even in your mind, as an escape hatch. Paul made it clear that God intends for marriage to be a lifetime commitment. It is far easier to stay in a marriage if the time and care has been uh, expended to, to, to choose someone uh, who is pleasing to live with. Okay, so... Take the time to know that person and, and uh, imagine what it's like to live with them for the rest of your life. Marriage was not meant to be endured. It was meant to be a comfort and, and an assist in life. Married couples are meant to, to help each other, complement each other, comfort each other. Husband and wives were meant to, uh, to, to help each other through the rigors and the difficulties uh, of this life, because believe me, there's going to be some sickness, some health, there's going to be some richer or poorer, there's going to be some, some difficult times, uh, in a marriage relationship. And so a good marriage, when you, when you found the right person, and, and it's important to pray and seek God and ask God to lead you to the right person. And when you find the right person, they will comfort you through your difficulties. Um, while there are, there are some frictions in every marriage and there are some difficulties in every marriage, but couples who, who love God and love each other and are sensitive to each other's needs will overcome the friction and the difficulties and find satisfying and fulfillment, fulfilling relationship. Now, I'm, I've married a lot of people. I've counseled a lot of people uh, and I've told them the same thing that I'm saying now. Take your time. Make sure you have God in the equation. Pray about it. And my wife and I, before we married, we prayed and, and we asked God, Lord, if, if this is not your will for us to be together, I'm asking, we're asking you to split us apart, separate us, Lord God. But if it is your will, um, 
bring us together and, and make it work. And so uh, my wife and I are, as the, t- at the time of this recording, uh, we'll, we're approaching 47 years of marriage. And it's been a blissful marriage. It's been a comfort and a help. Now, Paul urged Christians in difficult marriage relationships to work on, work on staying in that relationship. Don't jump out first time a sign of trouble. Uh, uh, grid your teeth and try to work through things. Um, if, if, if the, uh, person insists on leaving, Paul commanded that they should remain, uh, try to, uh, uh, stay single. What this was what Paul was saying. I want to make this clear. Paul urged people. Now, some people are going to insist on getting out of a marriage relationship. So Paul said, okay, you're a Christian, uh, stay in your marriage and try to work it out. But now, if you insist on leaving, then stay single uh, or return to the person that you marry. That's what Paul is saying. Now, of course, this is assuming that the first spouse is still living uh, and is still unmarried. So Paul discouraged jumping out of marriage and jumping into another marriage. He says uh, to the Christian, um, if you're married, stay in the marriage and try to work it out. If you insist on leaving, stay single. Or your option is to go back to the person that you left and try to work it out, okay? So now Paul was so unyielding on this subject of separation and divorce because he understood the devastating impact that divorce and separation has on a couple and on the children and the children in that relationship. Fragmented families leave children with part of what they need to survive uh, and flourish and and there are fewer resources and left less parental time and attention that children need to do well in life. Let's just face it. Um, people who, uh, children who are, who are raised in single fam, uh, family homes uh, normally have less than people who are children who are raised in, in a two-parent family. So Paul is saying avoid that. And certainly Paul is speaking by the Spirit of God. He wanted to try to ensure a stable home environment by urging Christians to try to stay in the marriage and work this thing out. God cares about the struggles and the hardships and sometimes even the cruelty that people suffer in marriage relationships. And he understands these things and and he cares deeply about hurting people. But he also understands that it's crucial that the institution of marriage be preserved and that Divorce and separation must be strongly discouraged. Now, I'm reading verses 12 through 16. Now, I will speak to the rest of you. Though I do not have a direct command from the Lord, if a Christian man has a wife who is an unbeliever and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. And if a Christian woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage. And the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not have a godly influence. But now they're set apart for him. But if the husband or the wife who isn't a Christian insists on leaving, uh, let them go. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife is not required to stay with them. For God wants his children to live in peace. For You wives must remember that your husbands might be converted because of you. And you husband must remember that your wives might be converted because of you. 
Now, some false teachers teach, they taught it then and they're teaching it now, that when a person becomes a Christian, uh, if they are married to an unbeliever, they should leave that unbeliever. Well, Paul is challenging this. He's contradicting this. He's saying, if you're a Christian, if you become a Christian, two unsaved people, and one of them gets saved, he's saying that the Christian should not leave the unbeliever. Stay with them. Paul condemned that teaching. The Christian, he says, the Christian spouse um, brings holiness to the family. The Christian spouse exerts a holy influence upon the unbelieving spouse and upon the children. The Christian becomes the salt and the light in that household. And Paul said the influence of the Christian spouse in the marriage makes the children holy. So Paul also understood that there's a, a definite possibility that the unbelieving spouse may eventually become a believer because of the influence of the believing spouse. Okay, so he's saying, uh, don't jump out of your marriage relationship, stay there and shine and uh, uh, try to win your husband. The apostle Peter dealt with this same subject in his first epistle. He wrote these words. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, even those who refuse to accept the good news. Your godly lives will speak to them better than any words. They will be won over by watching your pure, godly behavior. That's 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2 in the New Living Translation. So while Peter's message targeted Christian wives who are who, who had unbelieving husbands, the same principle applies to uh, husbands with unbelieving wives, Christian husbands with unbelieving wives. The idea is to shine on the unbelieving spouse with the love and the kindness, which is reflective of the character of Christ. Peter discouraged the use of words over conduct. In other words, he said, let your light shine. Don't try to talk them into it or preach them into it or pester them into it. Just live a godly lifestyle, a, uh, a holy and a righteous lifestyle, a, li a life that is pleasing to God, kindness, generosity, forgiveness, endurance, put up and putting up with some of the stuff and uh, let that light shine on them. And you just might win your husband. It's important to understand that Paul is speaking strictly about an existing marriage relationship. He is in no way advising a Christian to go out and marry an unbeliever. In fact, Paul commanded Christians not to yoke up themselves together with unbelievers in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, if you want to read that. Now, in verse 15, Paul said, But if the husband or wife who isn't a believer insists on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the believing husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. So Paul made it clear that if the believer chooses to depart from the marriage, they should be allowed to depart. Uh, that is, if the unbeliever, if the unbeliever chooses to depart from the marriage, they should be allowed to leave. This passage suggests that abandonment frees the Christian believer to remarry another Christian if if he if he or she so chooses. So if your unbeliever, unbelieving husband or wife abandons you, they turn away from you. You become a Christian and 
and they walk away from the marriage. Paul says uh, the Christian, the believer, uh, the unoffending partner is not bound. They are free. Now, verses 17 through 19, you must accept whatever situation the Lord has put you in and continue on as you were when God first called you. This is my rule for all the churches. For instance, a man who was circumcised before he became a believer should not try to reverse it. And the man who was uncircumcised when he became a believer should not be circumcised now. For it makes no difference whether or not a man has been circumcised. The important thing is to keep God's commandment. When Paul urges um, the Christian to accept his or her current situation, he doesn't mean that we shouldn't seek to improve ourselves uh, or to improve our situation. He means we should not allow other people to put us in a box and, and judge our value. We should not judge ourselves by human standards, but by what God says about us. From God's perspective, we are complete in Christ, Colossians 2 and 10. Um, we don't have to comply with with uh, rules and regulations that are no longer valid. So Paul is referring to the Mosaic law that uh, we're free from that and we're free to to live under the, the law of liberty, the law of love. Paul gave the example of circumcision because it was what some of the Jews used as a standard to judge whether a Gentile was acceptable to God. Paul was making it clear that God doesn't care whether a person is circumcised or not. What God is concerned about is obedience to his commandments. And the commandment that Christians are under is to, uh, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. These two commandments encompass all of the will of God. Okay. Now I'm reading verses 20 through 24. You should continue on as you were when God called you. Are you a slave? Don't let that worry you. But if you get a chance to be free, take it. And remember, if you were a slave when the Lord called you, the Lord has now set you free from the awful power of sin. And if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave of Christ. God purchased you at a high price. Don't be enslaved by the world. So, dear brothers and sisters, whether, uh, whatever situation you were in, when you became a believer, stay there in your new relationship with God. So, Paul is saying, you don't have to worry about changing your social status or observing some religious ritual in order to please God. You don't have to do that. These things can in no way affect your position in Christ. Uh, they cannot prevent you from carrying out God's will for your life. So Paul is is coming against the Judaizers, or those who who had been just pushing the law of Moses off on the on the those who were turning to Christ. And so Paul is saying, uh, "Don't worry about your earthly status. Just serve God. Even if a, a person was a slave at the time when she, he or she came to faith." Uh, she should not define herself as a slave. Instead, she should see herself or he should see himself as a child of God, a citizen of God's kingdom and, and God's free man or woman with great value. Paul's goal was to help uh, Christians reject the value that the world places upon us. Uh, we must not allow the world to, 
define us or, or to tag us because uh, we don't belong to the world. We belong to Christ. While we are assigned to this planet as temporary citizens for one lifetime, that's all we have here, one lifetime, our ultimate permanent citizenship is in heaven. And we expect for Jesus to come for us at any time. Now I'm reading verses 25 through 28. Now about the young women who are not yet married. I do not have a command from the Lord for them. But the Lord in his kindness has given me wisdom can, that can be trusted and I will share it with you. Because of the present crisis, I think it is best to remain just as you are. Uh, if you have a wife, do not end the marriage. If you do not have a wife, do not get married. But if you do get married, it is not a sin. And if a young woman gets married, it is not a sin. However, I'm trying to spare you the extra problems that come with marriage. Now, Paul is offering the benefit of his godly wisdom concerning young single women. This was a time when the church was under heavy persecution. And because of the difficulty of the times, Paul advised people to remain single. However, uh, he quickly pointed out that if anyone chose to ignore his advice and get married anyway, um, they had not committed any sin. Paul was trying to spare those who were single of the extra burden of concern about the safety and well-being of a, of a wife and children during a time uh, of persecution. During those times of heavy persecution, many of the saints were refugees, fleeing from place to place and seeking to escape the persecution that they were experiencing. Um, they would find it much easier, Paul is, is advising, uh, if they didn't have wives or children to care for. Paul is, is issuing this advice. He's not issuing this advice for all times, but only doing what he calls this present crisis. Okay. Now I'm reading verses 29 through 31. Now let me say this, dear brothers and sisters. The time that remains is short. So husbands should not let marriage be their major concern. Happiness or sadness or wealth should not keep anyone from doing God's work. Those in frequent contact with the things of the world should make good use of them without becoming attached to them. For this world and all it contains will pass away. The key word here is focus. The apostle is urging the saints to keep their eyes on the prize, on the Lord, and to set their focus on doing the work of the kingdom. Regardless of the situation or circumstances of life, they were urged not to become distracted. And this same applies to us today. The cares of this life, family concerns, wealth, or the lack thereof, uh, can be distracting. And so Paul urged the saints to steal their focus and, uh, and resist the temptation, make their focus like steel and resist the temptation uh, of allowing anything to distract them or to take away attention away from the kingdom of God and the work of the kingdom. Paul is telling husbands to not to, uh, he's, he's, he's not telling husbands to neglect their responsibility. He believed that a person who neglected the responsibility of caring for the needs of his family had denied the faith and was worse than an unbeliever, an infidel. You can find that in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 8. Paul is simply saying 
that the kingdom of God should have first priority in the life of every believer. Now, this is similar to what Jesus said in the gospel of St. Matthew. He spoke these words. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. That's Matthew 10, 37. So Jesus requires first place in our lives. But when we keep him in first place, everything else falls into place. If we love him first, then our, uh, we will love our wives and we will love our children and, and we will care for them and we will have good, strong, healthy families and a good, strong, healthy family life. Now I'm reading verses 32 through 34. In everything you do, I want you to be free from the concerns of this life. An unmarried man can spend his time doing the Lord's work and thinking how to please him, but a married man can't do that so well. He has to think about his earthly responsibilities and how to please his wife. His interests are divided. In the same way, a woman who is no longer married or has never been married can be more devoted to the Lord in body and in spirit, while the married woman must be concerned about the earthly responsibilities and how to please her husband. The apostle continued to make a case for the single lifestyle here. He instructed the saints to uh, about the advantage of, of being single and and he suggested that the single life uh, is the one with fewer concern. But it is important to remember that single life is better only if a person is gifted and equipped for that kind of a life. People who decide never to get married, but don't have the grace of the Lord for this kind of life, lifestyle uh, will be seduced into sexual immorality. Okay. So um, it's important to know that we have the gift of God before we commit to a lifetime of, of singleness or celibacy, okay? If we don't, it is best to not pass up the opportunity to marry. Being keenly aware of the temporal nature of our existence here on earth, Paul urged the saints to set their affections on things above and, and not on things on the earth. And that's in Colossians 3 and 2. Um, in a flash, each generation lives, dies, and enters eternity. In the whole scheme of things, in comparison to eternity, our lifetime on this earth is just a flash in the pan. From this perspective, Paul can uh, counsel the saints to to, to do all they could during their short lifetime on earth to advance the kingdom of God and, and to help people to press their way into it. Now I'm reading verse 35. I am saying this for your benefit, not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few distractions as possible. Paul is careful to make it clear that he is not trying to bind them with legalistic rules and added restrictions. He wanted them to prize and enjoy their freedom, but he wanted to help them to avoid distractions. Paul wants Christians to uh, live their best lives and to serve the kingdom at their best. And I say Paul because Paul represented God. And certainly this is the will of God for us. Now I'm reading verses 36 through 38. But if a man thinks he ought to marry his fiance because he has trouble controlling his passions and time is passing, it is all right. It is not a sin. Let them marry. 
But if he has decided firmly not to marry and there is no urgency and he can control his passion, he does well not to marry. So the person who marries does well and the person who doesn't marry does even better. Now, there were evidently some men and women in the church who were engaged to each other, but did not want to finalize the engagement by actually getting married. So these couples would agree to continue to relate to each other as engaged, but put off the actual marriage for an indefinite period of time. Okay, Paul gave his approval of this kind of an arrangement as long as the parties were not tempted by sex and placing themselves in danger of committing sexual immorality. He warned them that if they began to find that they were having difficulty controlling their sexual passion, then they should go ahead and get married. Okay, So the same advice applies to Christians today who decide to have long engagements. Once two people are sure that they're right for each other and have decided to marry, if they find themselves being tempted, they should go ahead and get married because better to go ahead and get married and have holy sex uh, than to put off the marriage, keep putting it off, and you're having unholy sex, okay? God is not pleased with that. God is displeased with people having sex outside marriage, shacking, all of that stuff is wrong. It's fornication, and God says we ought to flee from that. It is always prudent to design strategies that assist us in overcoming temptation. It is never wise to place temptation in our paths. Now I'm reading verses 39 and 40. A wife is married to her husband as long as he lives. If her husband dies, she is free to marry whomever she wishes. But this must be a marriage acceptable to the Lord. But in my opinion, it will be better for her if she doesn't marry again. And I think I'm giving you counsel from God's spirit when I say this. Paul gives these instructions to Christian widows because Jewish custom demanded that the wife of a man who died and had no children should be given to the dead man's brother uh, who would marry her and have the first child in the name of the dead brother. Uh, there's a reference to this in Matthew 22, 24, and in Mark 12 and 19. There were other pagan customs that forbade uh, a widow to remarry because she was bound to her first husband even after he died. By presenting this information, telling them that they're free to marry, they're no longer bound to their dead husband, Paul was bringing clarity to this subject and informing the widows that they were now free from these old customs. Paul placed only one restriction on um, widows who were marrying. Uh, he said this marriage must be acceptable to the Lord. This meant that they could only marry another Christian. Uh, the King James said that they could marry only in the Lord. So Paul ends this chapter by suggesting that widows would be better off if they stayed single. He is speaking about older widows because in his epistle, to Timothy, he wrote that the younger widows should remarry and have children. You can find that in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 11 and 15. Well, that brings us to the close of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. In our next session, we will study chapter 8. I want to invite you, if you live in the Indianapolis area, to come visit us at New Direction Church. Uh, we have two locations. 
My son, Kenneth Sullivan Jr., is the senior pastor there, and he's doing a wonderful job. Our East Campus is located at 5330 East 38th Street, and our North Campus is located at 7701 East 86th Street. Uh, for service time, you can visit our website at ndcbetterlife.org. Join me next time for another session of Teaching Through the Bible. Until then, may God bless you. Thank you for tuning in to Teaching Through the Bible with Dr. Ken Sullivan. We hope this program has benefited you in your Christian walk. For a free download of this program and to browse Dr. Sullivan's books, videos, and audio titles, visit our website at EmergeCurriculum.com. Please tune in to our next teaching session on Vision Stream Network or listen on demand from our podcast. Thank you.